The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. There is no question that last year was a tough one. So much grim and upsetting news about war and climate disasters. But what if I told you that in many ways, 2023 was also the best year ever? Might sound hard to believe, but you're about to meet someone who might be able to convince you that, yes, indeed, there is light amid the gloom. Angus Hervey is the editor of the Future Crunch newsletter. It's a weekly email publication dedicated to highlighting positive news. We have reached him in Melbourne, Australia. Angus, hello. Matt, hi. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Happy New Year, and thanks for being here. Um, Why did you... Go back to the beginning of this. Why did you want to create this publication, this newsletter that, as I say, focused particularly on the positive developments in our world? Well, I've always been a a news junkie. I think for as long as I can remember, I've been worried about the end of the world as well. So this project really started as my own form of medicine. About eight years ago, I read Steven Pinker's book, Better Angels of Our Human Nature, and it transformed my view of the world, showing me that progress is less visible than most people realize, but it's still very, very real. And so I thought, what would happen if I went out and actually started looking for news stories about the world becoming a better place? Not kind of feel good dog on a surfboard, baby survives a tornado good news stories, but those kind of big, genuine, world-changing stories of progress. And once I started looking, looking, I found those stories everywhere. This year alone, we found over 2,000 big good news stories, and and we published them all in our email newsletter and then condensed them all into an annual end-of-year list. Can you go back to something that you just said, which is the dog-on-a-surfboard story? What's wrong with those dog-on-a-surfboard stories? Because those often end up in the litany of terrible news. You will have, at the end of the newscast, a kicker, which is what it's called, which is is that story, right? Look at the cute dog on a surfboard, and people feel good at the end of it. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Well, I think what what that does, it, it actually has the opposite effect. Uh, they, the, the news anchor or, or the, the newspaper will sort of go through this litany of horror and then right at the end will say, you know, and finally sort of here's the other end, here, here's the other side of the coin. We scoured everything and the only good news we could find was this tiny story about a teenager giving money to charity. And what it does to the viewer is it gives them the impression that there is no good news out there. That that the, the sort of those two things are just so wildly disparate. Uh, but it's not true. It's actually just a cultural practice of journalism, and it makes us feel worse about the world, not better about the world. In your newsletter, you say that that you know the, the cruelty of the human spirit has been on full display in this past mm. year, um, and that if you told people, as I said at the beginning, that this was one of the best years ever, that a lot of people wouldn't believe you. Do you understand why they wouldn't believe you? I think so. And I think what it comes down to is that there are kind of two stories living side by side right now. Uh, the story of death, disaster, and destruction is one that is very familiar to all of us. It, it's the story that gets repeated and printed and discussed and uh, endlessly debated. Uh, we all know this story very well. But the story of progress, of renewal, uh, of regeneration, of 
rising living standards, improving global public health, massive conservation victories, extraordinary breakthroughs in clean energy. That story just isn't as visible. It's very real. And in some ways, I would say it's actually uh, outweighs the story of doom and destruction. But because it's not visible, most people don't understand it's happening. And they don't understand that these two stories live side by side. So if you take, we'll talk about those specifics, but if you take a look at some of the big themes that run through that list of 66 of the most positive developments of 2023, what are the big themes that stand out to you? Yeah, so... I think 2023 was this really interesting year where it felt in many ways like a, a terrible, terrible year for humanity. And, and and I think it's important to acknowledge that that story shouldn't be ignored either. Uh, you know, as journalists, as a journalist myself and uh, the profession more generally, it's very important to look at that story squarely uh, and acknowledge the shortfalls and speak truth to power and not look away in the face of disaster. And I think the wars in Ukraine and uh, the horrible, you know, the, the horrific conflicts uh, in Gaza, uh, you know, the really, really worrying news about climate change and temperature records. Uh, obviously, in Canada, you, you have terrible wildfires in 2023, uh, the rise of illiberalism around the world. Uh, and as I said, the sort of cruelty of the human spirit on display. Those things are very real. But 2023 was also the best year ever for global health. It was the best year ever for global conservation and the best year ever for clean energy. And in many ways, uh, a truly remarkable year for economic and social justice. Uh, and, and I can get into some specifics, but when you say that to people, it just sounds shocking. Mm. So to say, well, why, why haven't we heard that other story? Let's talk about global health. Um, this is something specifically that we talked about on this program um, in the spring of, of last year. I want to have a listen to part of my conversation with Dr. Fred Abwaji Antwi, who is a medical entomologist. He works with the NGO Target Malaria in Ghana. Have a listen. Over 10 years ago, we used to talk about a million people dying as a result of malaria. With the coming on board of the vaccine, I am very certain that it is going to drive down the mortality associated with malaria. Apart from that, there are other new tools that are being developed, vector control, genetic modification approaches. So all these, when they come on board, I am sure that within the next five, 10 years, probably we'll be inching towards elimination. He says that one of the deadliest diseases out there is inching towards elimination. This was a big story at the time, but do you think that it got the attention that it deserved? The malaria story is, it, it, it might be, it may be, well, maybe, maybe not, it might be my favorite story or, or, or certainly my, one of my top three stories from 2023. Essentially what's happened is that uh, we now have not one, but two really effective vaccines that are about to be deployed against a disease that kills half a million children every year. And those vaccines started arriving in multiple African countries at the end of 2023. And the world's largest vaccine distributor, UNICEF, uh, has signed a deal with the world's largest vaccine maker, which is the Serum Institute in India, to start deploying hundreds of millions of doses of these vaccines over the next few years. It's uh, the holy grail of public health. And the fact that it has been achieved in our lifetimes is just so encouraging, so exciting. Uh, you know, it, it means that we may start to see, see the end of malaria, certainly within our lifetimes. Uh, that It's really exciting in public health. The and, other I was going to say, yeah, it, it, there, there, are, there are other diseases that are, that are also doing really well, right? That they were actually doing well in terms of, of, of 
not not eliminating, but certainly having the upper hand in the fight against? Well, actually eliminating. <laughs> uh, a record number of countries eliminated diseases this year. Uh, Egypt became the first country to eliminate hepatitis C. Multiple countries eliminated trachoma. Bangladesh eliminated black fever and also eliminated elephantiasis. The list kind of goes on and on. Benin, Mali, Iraq, Timor-Leste, Bhutan, even North Korea reported that it has eliminated rubella. Uh, those are age-old diseases that have been with humanity since as long as uh, for as long as recorded history, and, and we got rid of a lot of those diseases in many places this year. The other place. Uh, we've had really great progress in the fight against cancer. Uh, I think in Canada, actually, the uh, Canada Statistics uh, Organization just released a new ca uh, cancer report showing that uh, cancer in Canada is down 20 or 30% cancer and mortality rates in the last generation. Uh, and then the other really exciting breakthrough, of course, of 2023 was uh, the first approval of gene editing treatments. Uh, this is a technology that was invented in 2011. And here we are uh, at the beginning of 2024, and we have approval for the first ever treatments, both in the United States uh, and it looks like very soon in Europe uh, for gene editing to treat sickle cell disease. Really exciting. Very, very encouraging. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. These are big stories. And again, you talk about how there has been um, a return to uh, the progress on childhood vaccinations, that during the pandemic, for example, the vaccination rates dropped off. Now those are picking up again. You see, you know, as you said, the, 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 we're within grasp of, of the elimination of things like polio uh, and guinea worm in, in many countries. Why do mainstream media outlets steer clear of those stories, or at least not give them the weight that you think it deserves. Part of this goes back to what you've hinted at, um, and you talk about it specifically in, in the newsletter, this idea of a negativity bias. Mm. I think a lot of people are familiar with negativity bias, of course, epitomized by the, uh, the, the, the age-old phrase of, if it bleeds, it leads. But I think it's actually a combination of things. It's, it's the kind of cognitive bias of human beings to pay attention to bad news. It's also the cultural practices of journalism. I think journalism has gotten used to reporting news that way. Um, I think this has been expressed in the expression, or this, is, this has been expressed as the news reports the planes uh, that don't land. It doesn't report the thousands that do land. Uh, and then I think on top of that, you kind of have this attention economy, that, and that's something that's become a lot worse in the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, there was a, a really interesting article that was actually released earlier this year where researchers from New Zealand analysed 23 million headlines from the most popular media outlets in the world over the last two decades, looking at the basic emotions of anger, disgust, fear, joy, sadness and surprise. And what they found is that there's actually been a significant decline in sentiment with headlines using a lot more negative words over time. In other words, it's not just our imagination. The news has gotten worse. And what's interesting is something really changes in 2009, because that was the year that media companies began testing dozens of variations of headlines to determine which ones get the highest clicks. And it was also the year that social media giants like Facebook and the website 
formerly known as Twitter, added the like and retweet buttons, which kind of poured fuel on the negative news fire. And over the next 10 years, sentiment declined three times as fast as the decade before. So the attention economy is in many ways made the news worse. If it bleeds, it leads. It's no longer just a colloquialism coined by cutthroat tabloid editors. It's at the heart of today's media business model. And I think, I mean, the pushback to that would be if you're taking a look at something like climate, it's hard to find much good in the wildfires that tore across much of this country. Mm-hmm. In, in the rising temperatures, um, people are pointing to uh, trends that that will continue uh, at, a, at a pace that could lead to real disaster. Where's the good news on climate that you saw? Again here, I think it's important to acknowledge just how terrifying the news on climate is. Uh, this is not uh, kumbaya, let's all hold hands and hope for the best kind of news reporting. Uh, but I think it's also important and crucial to recognize that amidst all of that terrifying news, most people also don't realize how much progress humanity made in 2023 on clean energy. We installed staggering amounts of solar energy last year, 58% more than 2022, which marked a 42% increase from 2021. And what that meant was that in actual numbers, the world's solar capacity doubled in the last 18 months. And nobody, not even the most optimistic forecast, had predicted anything close to this. Leading that charge was China. And it looks like multiple analysts are now saying that China might have reached peak emissions in 2023, which is six or seven years ahead of schedule, and that emissions in China are set to start falling in 2024, despite all of the coal plants that they are installing. And that and not COP28, uh, is probably the most important climate story of the year. And and my question, I guess, would be, why hasn't that gotten more coverage? And the answer is, of course, that if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, we don't get to hear about the progress in clean energy. Do you worry that, that in highlighting the progress, the end result for some people who see those stories or read those stories or hear those stories could be like, well, we've got that sorted out. Thank you very much. They look at all the great work they're doing in China. So we've got that problem licked. And that it, that it might take the foot off the accelerator in terms of addressing the larger issue of, of a changing climate. I think that thought has occurred to me. <laughs> Uh, but then I also remind myself that there's maybe 10,000 media outlets out there reporting, reporting on the story of collapse and maybe only a handful in the world that are reporting on the story of progress. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we report on that story of progress. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, we'll know that in 20 or 30 years. And, and maybe we'll all be sitting there saying, well, it all, you know, it all fell apart. Uh, or maybe we'll be sitting there saying, hey, you know, we managed to squeak through and walk the tightrope uh, and and get to a, a world that's fairer, more equitable, equitable, cleaner, safer. Uh, we aren't sure what the answer to the question is yet of whether we're going to make it or not. But if somebody isn't reporting on the story of renewal and change and progress, then how will we know that we're actually getting that done? And I think what we see in our mission at Future Crunch and with our email newsletter is uh, that we are a tiny handful of one of the tiny handful of outlets that are reporting on the story of progress. And so we kind of see that as our role in the wider media ecosystem. Mm. One of the great bits of progress, and this goes back to the issues of climate, um, is around conservation and biodiversity. You have this list which goes on and on and on of the endangered species that are recovering. The Asiatic lion, the Atlantic puffin, the golden lion tamarind, the greater bilby. I don't know what the greater bilby is, but apparently it's on (laughs) its way back. Um, What stands out to you when it comes to what we're doing when it comes to, uh, to, to biodiversity? 
Oh, look, I think 2023 was a, such an encouraging year for conservation. Uh, Greenpeace hailed the signing of the High Seas Treaty in March as the greatest conservation victory of all time. It means that we now have a pathway to conserving and protecting life on the high seas. Uh, it's the first major multinational uh, agreement on ocean conservation, I think, since the 1980s. Um, my other really, the other story that I just loved from 2023 was that deforestation in the Amazon across all nine Amazonian countries declined by 55% in 2023. That is the largest single year decline in deforestation since records began. Uh, and we always hear about when deforestation is going up in the Amazon, but isn't it interesting that we don't hear as much about it when deforestation declines by that much? Uh, I, I think what it maybe means is that perhaps that message is getting through. And of course, the main reason for that is was the election of Lula in Brazil, uh, where policies on the ground have really started to to shift the way that Brazil is is managing its deforestation problem. And then I think there was also some really encouraging news on conservation in Canada mm. uh, in 2023, led, of course, by First Nations. Uh, I think there's the First Nations, many First Nations people in, in Canada are kind of leading a, a revolution in conservation globally. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, Canada uh, in 2023, um, in British Columbia, uh, it was really an extraordinary year for nature protection. $300 million for conservation financing fund for old growth forest protection, administered by First Nations, $700 million nature agreement between federal and provincial governments and the First Nations Leadership Council, multiple new protected areas. Uh, Canada is making all also great progress towards its goal of conserving 25% of its oceans by 2025. Uh, and then I think there was uh, there's also this Indigenous Ranges uh, initiative that's uh, mm. been led by Canada, where Indigenous peoples, I think, um, you know, are, are right at the forefront of uh, looking after sort of, you know, kind of the most pristine areas in the country uh, and also are declaring Indigenous protected areas without waiting for the federal government to do so. And I think... Uh, to top all of that, there's the there's the reintroduction of bison. I think in uh, near Alberta uh, last year. In uh, where was it? I think there's that. Is that in Banff? In the suit in the suits in the nation, which we saw firsthand. We went there and we saw what was going on when it came to the reintroduction of the bison and what it meant for for the community and hearing people talk about how it, it was. You know, and, and efforts to to bring this this species back to the land, but also to show that something like that is possible. And I guess it mm. speaks to just it, we're just about out of time, but it goes back to something that you said earlier, which is that you need these stories in some ways to tell you that in the face of awful things, good good is possible, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think it's also an understanding that optimism doesn't necessarily have to be a reaction to the world around you. It, it can be a choice by which you navigate the world around you. And when you make that choice, suddenly you start seeing things that you never saw before. Uh, and I think that's something to remember when we're thinking about world news, when we're thinking about the news in Canada, and also when we're thinking about our own role uh, in this much bigger story, this bigger tapestry that's playing out. So to say to yourself, well, which of those stories do I belong to? Do I belong to the story of the great collapse and everything falling apart? Or do I belong to the story of renewal and progress and hope? And I think for us, the answer is pretty obvious. And maybe, uh, I hope for some of your listeners, uh, that might clarify things as well. And hopefully we'll get them looking for those positive stories in this year ahead. Angus, this is really interesting, and I'm really glad to talk to you about it. Thank you very much. 
Mm, thanks so much, Matt. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Angus Hervey is the editor of Future Crunch. It's a weekly email newsletter. It highlights positive developments in the world of science, global health, the environment, and human rights. Your CBC News is up next, and then we will recognize and celebrate three remarkable Canadians, all newly recognized with the Order of Canada. In some ways, Chinatown was just kind of left. For me, the prospect of losing this neighborhood, I knew that there was a lot of other people who had that same sort of nostalgia, the same feeling for how do we save something that's an integral part of our collective history. If we didn't take some action, it would just be lost. A leader in helping to save Vancouver's Chinatown, also a physician and Paralympian, and Canada's first Inuk opera singer. You'll meet all of them coming up in six minutes. I'm Matt Galloway. You're listening to The Current on CBC Radio and the CBC Listen app. Stay with us. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.